What I'd like to share <coughs> today is something that I know we all wrestle with from time to time. For some reason, <coughs> we as human beings want to be part of something. And the word that is often used uh, in the secular world is tribalism. Let me just give you um, a bit of an explanation in case you're not familiar with that word. It refers to a group attitude of undeserved pride and superiority based solely on identification with a group. So it's the tendency to look down on other people for no other reason than they don't belong to the group. We see that in sports, we see it in culture, of course we see it in, uh, in nations, we see it in religions, and we know that wars have been started because of that. We see it in, in radical um, fans of football teams fighting each other. They don't even know how to kick a ball, but they are part of this group, and now they fight the other group. And the question I want, to, I want to dis us to discover today is, how did all that start? And what does it have to do with us today? Um, some of these differences are rooted in great fear. We are sometimes afraid of other groups because we don't understand them. We don't know how to, how to deal with them. Um, many years ago, my wife and I, we had two little boys and we went from Germany to, to the US to visit her family. <clears throat> and our oldest son, he was around three. We, we had just landed in JFK we are walking through these endless halls you go through before you go to immigration. And I'm holding Bjorn's hand and we're walking and, and there comes a man, a big man, and he was very dark. And uh, he comes towards us and, and Bjorn stops and he starts to cry. I mean, really cry, not just a little bit. He just burst out crying. It was one of the most embarrassing situations for a parent. <laughs> And, but he came right up, the man, and he, he knelt down and he had a big smile on his face and said, I love you, I love you. And sorry, sorry. It was like uh, one of those awkward moments for him and for us. Uh, but where did it come from? He didn't get it from us. Uh, we, we've always interacted with different, from many uh, people from different nations. And so where does it come from? This fear of someone that looks different, that speaks different, that acts different. There's a reason for that, and I hope that you will be able to follow me today in discovering the mystery of uh, tribalism and all that entails. Let me start by talking about the issue. Um, we could easily say it's part of human nature. You know, we were just born with that defect. Um, and it's obviously something that we all are wrestling with. So sometimes we, we just want to belong to something just for the security of it. Um, and uh, superior, superiority. Uh, sometimes when people don't find a group, they even start their own, just so they have somewhere where they belong. And of course it touches one of the deepest human needs, is to belong. But that's the reason why we have opposite sides. We have uh, you know, people facing each other, fighting over things, not agreeing over things. And I'm, I'm sure you're all aware of stories in your own life where you have seen that happen. 
what it is. It's the enemy's substitute for commun communion. Communion is obviously of God, and we've talked about communion a lot. I will not get into that today. But tribalism is like, it's like the enemy's version of, of communion. I want to belong to something, um, and I want to be part of something that seems to be very important to us. But now I want to hopefully lift something up that maybe you have not heard of before or thought of before. Let me take you all the way back to the beginning of time where we see that God is faced with a twofold problem. You know the story, if you have read the Bible at all, about Lucifer the angel being cast out from heaven, taking one third of the angels. And so God is faced now with a satanic counter-kingdom. Um, and of course, this counter-kingdom is not just existing for itself, but it's stealing now the allegiance of, of the, the very people that God had created to love him and to serve him. And of course, his goal is to deceive and to kill and to destroy. The second problem is mankind. He created man so that they could love him, so that he could have fellowship with them in harmony and in peace. Mankind now is in rebellion. And they left their, their position as co-rulers of the earth. He told them, you rule over the earth. You take care of the animals. You take care of the land. And, and now man gave it all over to Satan, so to speak. And so the result is slavery and sin. So God, God is faced with this dual problem uh, that, that that satanic kingdom and mankind in rebellion. And of course, God has a plan. And that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, it's maybe a little bit daring to say that we understand the plan of God. And f of course, we don't fully understand it. But he has revealed the core of his plan very clearly to us in his word. And Paul sums it up very nicely in... Uh, Ephesians 1, 9 to 10, and I'm reading this from the message because it helps us understand it. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. And he set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. So what is the plan? In other translations, it says to bring everything under the feet of Jesus. So what's the plan? This is how we can sum it up. To redeem a people from every people and to rule a kingdom over all kingdoms. He wants it all back. It was his from the very beginning. So that's God's plan. Um, it's interesting to see how that plan unfolds. Obviously, it has not reached its fulfillment. None of this has totally happened yet. We still have a large part of mankind in rebellion. We still have a kingdom of darkness ruling very powerfully in this world. But let's have a look at this. Because God has an interesting idea. And it started with this right here. And if you've ever been to Sunday school, then you will recognize that this is supposed to be the Tower of Babel. And a story that maybe 
uh, we learned when we were children. And just recently, by the way, just in the last few weeks, uh, there has been something going around on Facebook that there are new discoveries of uh, them having found the remnants of the Tower of Babel, uh, exactly where it is said to be in Iraq. But let me unpack this a little bit, because I think we have the wrong idea about this story. Um, in the first 10 chapters of the Bible, God deals with mankind and there are only, there's only one race. And they all speak the same language. It was the language that Adam and Eve spoke when God created them. He didn't create them as babies, he created them obviously as adults. They didn't have to learn to speak, they just knew how to speak. It was God's lang language, and we don't know what that language was. Swedish. I, <laughs> I don't think so. But whatever it was, that's what we're going to speak. When we get back to heaven, when everything has been restored, then we will speak that language with God. But anyway, so he's dealing with mankind and he's trying to, to woo them back to him and they are not, they're, not, they're not taking it. They're, you know, they're, they're fighting with each other and there's jealousy and there's murder. There's all kinds of terrible things going on. So God has to send judgment. You know the story of the flood. Eight people survived. And then they moved from the the foothills of uh, Mount Ararat, where the, the, the ark landed, down into the plain of Shinar, which is right between the rivers of, of uh, Euphrates and Tigris. It's in today's Iraq, obviously. And there, they began to build a city. And not only did they build a city, but they, they built a tower. And um, so, all of a sudden, God realizes that if, if he doesn't change the situation the way it is, then he would have to destroy them again. Because, you know, now they were building themselves this monument to be and become like God. And God had already promised he would not destroy the earth with water, so the next one would be with fire. God was not ready for a nuclear holocaust. And so what happened was that he, in his wisdom which is so different from human wisdom, he came up with this, with this fantastic plan. And it's to divide them into groups. It's like God said, well, you know what? If I can't win you back as a whole, I will win you back piece by piece. Family by family, clan by clan, nation by nation, but you will be mine again. And so, we, we don't know how it happened. We do know that the tower existed. I don't think there's any, any problem with that. How did God do that? Let's read the, the scripture for that. God came down to look over the city and over the tower those people had built. And God took one look and said, one people, one language, why? This is only a first step. No telling what they'll come up with next. They will stop at nothing. Come. We'll go down and garble their speech so they won't understand each other. And then God scattered them from there all over the world. And they had to quit building the city. And that's how it came to be called Babel. Because there, God turned their language into Babel. From there, God scattered them all over the world. It's a crazy story, isn't it? And we don't know how it happened. It's a little bit like the story of creation. 
Was it literally six days? Or was it segments of time? Did this happen overnight? Did they really wake up the next morning and not understand their neighbors anymore? Did it happen over a period of time? We, we don't know. We don't know, but we, we know that it happened. And today, even the scientists are still trying to scratch their heads. How did we end up with 7,000 distinct languages? Because that's how many languages are on Earth today. And you think if you know two, three languages, you're a linguist. We have a long way to go. 7,000 languages. If you go to the Philippines, you, you can be speaking 70 different languages, depending on which island you go to. In other places, in India especially, in China, some of these big countries in Africa, you have massive amounts of tribal languages that are very, very different from each other. 7,000. That may include some of the languages that have become extinct, like Latin and some of the others, but it doesn't matter. It's a huge amount. And so, this is, this is God's... This is God's answer. They've resisted me as a whole, and I will win them back piece by piece, family by family, clan by clan, nation by nation. And Paul understood that when he, when he preached in, in Acts 17, where he says, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. What we don't understand is that the Greek word for nations is not what we think nations are. We look at our globe and our world map, and we can today count 196 nations. Some say it's 195 because Taiwan is not officially recognized as a sovereign nation, but whatever, we, we see around 200 nations drawn on the map. But the, the word being used is ethnos, and it refers to ethnic groups of people. And that is often quite different than what we see on our maps. When we lived in Asia, we came across a large tribe called the Shan people. Did you know there are over 10 million of them? 10 million. They have their own language, they have their own script, they have their own culture, their own traditions, even their own features, but they don't have a country of their own. They live in Burma, Myanmar, in Thailand, and in southern China. And they've never been allowed to be a nation of their own, to govern their own nation. And that's one of many examples. There are many tribes like that in Asia and in Africa. And possibly in South America, I'm not familiar with that part of the world so much. But there are groups of people with distinct cultures and languages that, are not cons that cannot be found on our maps today. And according to uh, these missiologists and anthropologists, we are dealing with 16,000 distinct people groups in the world today. And again, it seems absurd and seems crazy, but do you, do you see God's plan? Do you see what he's doing? It's his doing. It's his way to win it all back. To split them up in small groups and start working on them one by one by one by one. And this is so exciting when you think about it. So now there's the challenge, um, restoration. The Bible talks about the restoration of all things. And that is the restoration to win back 
all of mankind to God and to overcome all other kingdoms so only the kingdom of God would stand in the end. And Jesus started that process and it seems like, it seems like he didn't do a very good job because uh, Jesus never left Israel. He doesn't, didn't speak any other language as far as we know. He even made a point one time and he said, I'm sent to the house of Israel. And of course they were <clears throat> prepared and ready for the message of the kingdom of God like no one else. But that's not the truth. If you would take the time and read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you pay close attention to what Jesus is doing and what he's saying, then you will find that on over 70 occasions, Jesus deliberately started talking to people that were outside the Jewish culture. It's, we are told that he is talking to a, a group of Greeks in Jerusalem. We know that he talked to Cornelius, who was a, a Roman centurion. And we know that again and again, <clears throat> he interacted with the Samaritans, which were a totally other people group that was despised and hated by the Jewish people. And he even, he even made a choice, like when he went up to Galilee, he didn't take the usual route that Jews usually take. He said, let's take a detour through Samaritan country. And I'm sure his disciples tried to stop him. Jesus, that's not the best way to go. I know. But Jesus, that's where the Samaritans live. I know. Jesus, why are we going that way? Trust me. And so he takes them. And then we, we hear about the story of the woman at the well who encountered him so powerfully and her life was changed and we are sure the life of many others was changed because of her testimony. And these are just a few examples. And then he, he rounds it up you know, with that famous, famous story of the Good Samaritan that we love to tell, that we love to act out, that we just believe so much in. But you have to understand for the Jewish people that was very, very provocative that Jesus said that you know, the rabbi walked by and the Pharisee walked by, but this Samaritan, he, he might as well have said an ISIS fighter or a neo-Nazi or something really absurd. He used one of the worst examples he could have used to, sh to prove his point. And the point was in the end, do what he did. So Jesus took every opportunity to start putting this plan of his father into motion. Even though he, he only traveled in a small part of this world, he reached out to people from all kinds of nations and all kinds of background. So now here we are. Now that we understand, at least in part, the plan of God, it starts making sense, doesn't it? Of those 16,000 people groups that I mentioned, roughly 6,000 have never been touched with the gospel, meaning they've never heard about Jesus, they've never read a Bible. Many of them have no idea of what we are talking about. Roughly 2 billion, probably more, people in this world. And this is the plan. God's plan is to win them back, one by one, clan by clan, family by family. And he's, he's doing it in such an amazing way. But we have to understand that's the real reason why there is a kingdom of God. That is the real reason why we have his word. That's the reason why we have church. Not for ourselves, not even only for our nation and for our cities, but for the plan 
It's all there for the plan. And the plan is the missio dei, the mission of God, the plan of God to win it all back. And, and that's what we're called to. Every single one of us, we are called to be part of that restoration prom, prom, um, project of God's. So part of that is reconciliation. Peter said it very clearly that um, times of restoration of all things will come. And the word restoration means, you know, to bring back things to their original state, um, unimpaired condition, the restitution. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Um, I don't know how many of you were in Copenhagen this last few days. Uh, we were not able to go, but we watched the teaching last night by Andrew Masters. And if, if you have any chance at all, I challenge you to listen to that because it goes a little bit into what I'm talking about today when he describes about the price and the cost that, that we have to pay if we want access to the power and the anointing that is released for the church. He talked about how the disciples were so unfit for that calling, how they didn't know what hit them when Jesus said, now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and now I want you to go out into the world. They didn't know what hit them. They were not ready for it. They didn't understand it. And for the next seven years, guess what? They stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't leave. They built a mega church. They talk about 10,000 people in the, in the church of Jerusalem at that time. And God said, guys, the plan, don't forget the plan. I told you the plan. They didn't listen. And then you know what happens next. God sent persecution. And it says literally that they were scattered into Judea and into Samaria and into the outlying nations and countries. He did that once before in the Old Testament when Israel failed to bring the name of Jehovah to the nations around them. He sent them to the nations in exile. And while they were there, they did demonstrate God's love. That's where the beautiful stories in the Bible come from. Daniel in the lion's den and, 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 and the three guys in a, in a fire and Esther and all these beautiful stories were in the nations outside of Israel where God had placed them. And now today God is turning it around. He's bringing the nations to us. They're coming. And we have to be Thankful, we need to understand it's part of his plan. It's not coincidence. It's not the fault of our politicians. It's not the fault of anyone's poor planning. It's, it's God's plan. It's his design that we as a church would take our part in the process of reconciliation that needs to take place between every people group on this earth with the Father in heaven. And this is what he has given us to do. All things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation that by word and deed we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. That's our job. That is our job. I want to, to end with a story. Um, it was 1997 and we were living in Malaysia at the time and we were getting ready for our first... Asian Vineyard Summit. It was really exciting. Uh, the vineyard had just started to come to different nations in Asia. And uh, 
And we were invited to come to Manila, Philippines for the first summit. And, and um, David Ruiz was going to be there and Gary Best and John Wimber and some other big names that some of you may be aware of. And I was excited to go because I had never personally met John Wimber. I had seen him in, on three occasions <clears throat> in big conferences, but I never had a chance to get close to him. And I said, this time I'm going to shake his hand. I'm going to walk right up there. I'm going to say hi to John. And then so I, I went on my journey and I landed in Manila. I took the taxi to the place. And the first thing I heard was John Wimber just passed away. And all the big shot speakers had to leave to go to the funeral. So we had our first conference and all the big speakers were gone. Interesting. <clears throat> but God turned it into something very powerful. And I will never forget what happened. I think it was the second day of the conference. We had just had a very beautiful time of worshiping God's presence. It was just very, very sweet. And a man gets up. He, was, he sat behind me. He got up and tears are running down his face. And he's getting up on the stage and he's asking for the, for the microphone. And he told us a story that I think might resonate in some of our hearts. The man was from South Korea. And he told us a story how when he grew up, he heard the stories of his parents, of how they were abused by the, the Japanese occupation force during the, the wartime. And so he grew up with a deep-seated resentment and hatred towards Japanese people. So when he became a believer, he gave that over to the Lord. And he said, Lord, I don't want that hatred. Please forgive me. Take it from me. And he, f he thought it was done. He thought it was gone. And on the first day of the conference, when, they, when we were having lunch, he sat across a vineyard pastor from Japan, and it all came up again. And he was so brokenhearted over that, that he came up and confessed that as a, as a sin in front of the whole conference. And that triggered an avalanche of people coming up and doing similar things. Uh, the, the people from Hong Kong were apologizing to the people in the Philippines. And, 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 and the missionaries were apologizing to the people in India for the mistakes they had made. And it just went on and on and on. It was reconciliation triggered by the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want to end with. As we look into the future, one thing we know for certain, there will be more and more nations coming to us. More and more people groups will come. It will not stop. It will increase. And we need to know how are we going to deal with that. And I know I've I'm, I'm been so blessed by the, the the attitude of the Swedish people, the tolerance towards other nations and wanting to help and being inclusive and, and working very hard on integration. And, uh, but yet, without God's help, this is not going to work. And let's be very honest. I think some of us, we struggle with us and them. Deep, deep down. We may not say it, but sometimes we look at someone from, a, from another part of the world and we just kind of... I think we're a little bit better, maybe. Maybe we find it hard to, to connect with, with those sitting in the streets and, and begging. Maybe we resent that a little bit. Maybe we don't understand and we, we have a bad attitude. Or maybe we think about the, the immigrants from Syria and we are just scared 
you know, they could be ISIS, they could be anything, and we are just worried, and it's part of human nature. But we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And we can't expect the people without God to do that well. But we can. Because Jesus demonstrated it so well when he came to reconcile with us, to give his everything for us so that we could be reconciled with the Father in heaven. So I want to, I want to say a prayer, but then afterwards I would like to, to ask anyone, come forward for prayer if you, if you want to talk to God about some of these feelings that you may have. Maybe it's one of your best guarded secrets. You don't want anyone else to know that you're still struggling with some of these, with these tribalistic issues. But let's bring that to God today. Let's ask him to forgive us, to cleanse us, to set us free, from make us, make us bold and loving to reach out to the many, many people that God is sending to us. And maybe, just maybe, someone may feel a special call today to take up that, that burden and, and understand that, oh, wow, I never thought in, of my calling in that term, but that's why I'm here. I am part of this restoration pro project of God's. I am part of this plan of his. What, what do I do about it? What can I do about it personally? As a human being, personally, what can I do? Um, should we stand up and I, I lead us in a prayer? Father, we, we just want to tell you how thankful we are for this wonderful plan of yours. How you've got it all figured out. You're going to win back mankind. You are going to win back your kingdom. It will be restored. And there will be a time when we will stand before you from all tribes and nations. We will speak one language. And there will be no discrimination. There will be no racism. There will be no tribalism. We will be one before you. But Lord, in the meantime, I pray that you would come with, with the urgency of the call that still rests upon your church. That you want to use us to bring reconciliation between men and women, between races, between social groups, between different languages. Lord, you are the one who's given us this task to do. And I pray that it would come to us as a burden. It would come to us as a weight. It would come to us in a way we cannot escape. It would, it would cause us to think about it. It would cause us to cry out about it. It would cause us to pray about it and say, God, what can I do? Help us. And we will pray as a church, Lord, that you will continue to guide us. What can we do? This thing in Husby is just the beginning. There's more coming. There has to be more coming. Because we are in such an international setting right now. And God set it all up. He set us up. Thank you, Lord, for setting us up. And now we ask for your grace, for your mercy. Fill our hearts with your love. Help us to love other people the way you love them. Lord, you know our limitations, how sometimes we feel so helpless and we don't really understand. 
but you have given us your spirit and you have given us your love. And through that we can offer reconciliation. We can offer relationships. We can, we can offer what we have and what we are. And Lord, I pray especially that um, someone here today would just receive a specific personal calling from you to take that serious, to kind of dedicate the rest of your life for that, to dedicate yourself for the reconciliation process, no matter what that looks like, whether you need to go to the nations or if you, if you stay and, and serve the nations here in whatever, in whichever way God sees fit, but you now today, you make the decision for the rest of my days, this is, this is what I will live for.